Hey, you know what? It's really fun to be here. They gotta bring a flag on for me, man. So. Irving. Irving to the basket. Irving got it. Man, I'm so, I'm so hyped right now. Anything's possible. Anything's possible. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up? How are we doing? How are we doing? And welcome to episode number 37 of the Banner Banter Podcast, Game 1, Round 1 Playoff Edition. How's everyone doing? I'm your host and favorite Boston Celtics season ticket holder, Timmy G. You can follow me on the Twitter machine at BannerBanter18 or on Facebook and Instagram at Banner Banter Podcast. And happy Marathon Monday to everyone, the best day of the year in the city of Boston. Don't ask questions, don't pass go, don't collect $200 if you disagree with me. All right, let's get right into it. Special edition, round one, game one. We're going to do another one on Thursday morning as well after the Wednesday night round one game two game at TD Garden. But before we actually get into the game, we just got to catch up on a couple little things for the Celtics and then we'll get into it. First off, let's finally figure out the Celtics draft pick situation. All four of the Celtics draft picks actually, this is banana land, actually had to deal with tiebreakers. All four of them. So the first one was between the Thunder and the Celtics, who ended the season with the same exact record. So they put some ping pong balls into a machine, whichever one shows up first with the team's logo on it. That's who wins. And the Thunder won this one. So the Celtics will be drafting 22nd. The Thunder won, and they'll be drafting 21st. The next one was between the Pacers, the Clippers, and the Spurs. No matter what happened, unless it was they fell in the lottery, but since the Clippers made the playoffs, the Celtics got, got their draft pick. Pacers won, Spurs won, and the Clippers did not win in any way, shape, or form. So the Clippers will be picking 20th, and what I mean by that is the Celtics will be picking 20th. Spurs will be 19th, and the Indiana Pacers will be 18th. Then you had the Hornets, Kings, and Heat. They all tied for the same record, and this was the, for the 12th, 13th, and 14th pick. The Celtics... No luck. Again, lost that one too, and we'll be drafting 14th. Now, what I mean by that is when teams are drafting 14th, now that it's inside the lottery, the first 16 teams, or I'm sorry, the best 16 teams in the NBA make the playoffs, right? So from team 14 and down, 14, 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, et cetera, et cetera, they get their team logo on a bunch of ping pong balls, and there's a whole bunch of math involved that I'm not going to give you a headache with. So, this 14th pick that the Celtics got, Hornets 12, Heat 13th. On May 14th, when they actually do the lottery, that could change. It really could. The Kings could get the second overall pick in the NBA, and that would be lovely. That means the Celtics would get the second pick in the draft. But if somehow, some way, it's like a 1% chance that the Kings do get the number one pick, that number one pick goes to the Philadelphia 76ers. So keep an eye on that. And then finally, the final tiebreaker was the big one. It was between the Grizzlies, the Mavericks, and the Pelicans. The Pelicans won, they'll be drafting 7th, the Grizzlies 8th, and the Mavericks nine. And like I've talked about all season, if the Grizzlies have the ninth draft pick or worse, ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th, 
it goes to the Celtics. Anything eight and above eight seven six five four will go to the Grizzlies. Excuse me, just burped. You know, it's tradition, guys. I'm not going to change just because it's the playoffs. No, you gotta, you know, just be you. You know, do you never change? And so the Grizzlies have a 42.5 percent chance that it lands at number nine, and they have a 57.5 percent chance that it doesn't land at number nine. So we want to ride that 57.5 percent wave because next year, if the Grizzlies draft eighth, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one this year, it becomes protected one to six next year. And it could also help a trade. It really could. A team could be like, Ooh, top six, top six protected in 2020. And then 2021, it's not protected. Yeah, sure. We'll bite. Here's a good player. So we do not want the Grizzlies pick to land ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th, or 13th. Got it. Great. Okay. One Two more things. We have to talk about Marcus Smart. I know the news came out, I think, about two or three days after I released episode 36 last week. So he has a torn oblique muscle. He'll be out 46 weeks, a.k.a. the first round, maybe some of the second round. The injury happened on April 7th. So you figure that's when it happened. And in four, in three weeks, that will be April 28th, which could be game seven between the Celtics and the Lakers. So... Last year on May 7th, which would actually be a full six weeks, it was game four, round two in Philadelphia for the Celtics. So if the Celtics can survive and maybe drag out the Pacers series a little bit and maybe steal one from Milwaukee in the first three or four games, if the Celtics do move on, there's a chance Marcus Smart could come back in game two, game three, game four of the second round. So stay positive because... The Celtics need him against the Bucs. Like, you don't need Marcus Smart to get past the Pacers. They proved that the other day. It was ugly, an ugly, ugly game, and we'll get to it in one second. But you cannot beat the Bucs without Marcus Smart. Someone needs to guard Chris Middleton. Someone needs to be aggressive to match their aggressiveness, and that's Marcus Smart. So can you miss him for a game or two? Sure. Can you miss him for a whole series against the Bucs? Hell to the no. And finally... I know I keep, you know, I, I keep teasing my recap for the playoff game, but I don't know if you guys watched the Celtics porn that was on the other night called Passing the Torch. It was actually on NBC Sports, and basically Jalen interviewed Satch Sanders, Tom Satch Sanders, Marcus Smart interviewed Danny Ainge, and Kyrie interviewed Bob Cousy. Amazing stuff, even if you're an average Celtics fan or you're just listening to this podcast because you, you care. And you really don't care about the Celtics. You just care that I get a good amount of listens. Thanks. Watch this. It's only 30 minutes long, and it was great. Great, great television. Celtics porn at its finest, let me tell you. All right. Let's get in to recap game one from round one at TD Garden. Celtics win 84-74 in a butt-ugly game. It was so bad. I don't know if, like, all the players are worried about Tiger Woods. By the way, congratulations, Tiger Woods, for winning the Masters. I was literally streaming the Masters during halftime with my buddy, John, who came to the game with me. Good luck, John, as I like to call him. And everyone was so focused. And the second Tiger took the lead, I noticed the Celtics started playing better. I'm, I'm, I'm not even kidding you. 
and NBC Sports Boston also proved it. Go to their Instagram, and you can actually see the exact times where the Celtics started playing better. It's right when Tiger took the lead. It was very, very interesting. But to start off this game, the Celtics did not play very well at all. They had five turnovers in the first six minutes. They weren't moving the ball. Guys looked nervous out there. It made me feel very uncomfortable. It really and truly did. Five turnovers in the first six minutes is so unlike the Celtics. I know there can be some games where the Celtics get really sloppy with the ball, but this is childish. It was infuriating. And then I think we finally have public number one, guys. I I really do. Wesley Matthews. I feel like every series, I like to find a player that annoys me, and I just go in on him, you know, from Section 315, just yell a few things. And Wesley Matthews looked like the Karate Kid. He looked like an Ninja Turtle out there. What, like, what was that headband? When did the NBA approve those, like, wax-on, wax-off headbands? I, I mean... If they want to wear it, they feel comfortable wearing it. Do you, boo boo? But I, uh, I, I, I don't get it. They, they don't, they don't look that great. But Wesley Matthews, sure as hell, played great in those first six minutes of the game. Think about it. Celtics had five turnovers in the first six minutes. Wesley Matthews scored eight points in the first six minutes. There was a time where Wesley Matthews had more points than the entire Celtics team. I think it was like Wesley Matthews eight, the Celtics five. It's terrible. But. The Celtics locked down on Wesley Matthews after that because he didn't score a point after that. He only he finished with eight points in the entire game. So props to the Celtics. Another thing that I found very annoying during this game is Jason Tatum. I understand Jason Tatum is skinny. He needs to have another cheeseburger. Maybe go to the weight room a little bit more. Maybe go to the weight room with semi ogelet But Jason Tatum really doesn't like contact. There were too many dribble, 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 step back jumpers, and I know some of them went in. So, you know, hey, if it goes in, it's lovely. When it doesn't, it's annoying. But there was one play in the game where Jason Tatum went up for an offensive rebound, which I think we can all agree is very rare. Jason Tatum does not go up for offensive rebounds a great deal. But when he did, instead of going right back up with it, maybe a pump fake and then go back up, he just passed it out, and it led to a turnover. And it was so frustrating and annoying. Like, just go up with it, dude. You're a great free throw shooter. Go to the line. Get us two points instead of throwing it out to the three-point line, and then it leads to a turnover. It was very, very annoying. But going into the second quarter, Celtics, again, really didn't play that great. The Pacers extended their lead. The Pacers' largest lead in the game, I think, was 11 or 12 points. And the Celtics had 10 turnovers with about four minutes to go in the second quarter, and that led to seven Indiana Pacer points. And with four minutes to go in the second quarter, guess what? The Celtics were down seven points. So again, don't turn the ball over, and that will lead to good things. Because like I mentioned last week on the podcast, the Pacers are one of the best teams in the league converting points off of turnovers. And it proved to be that, because if the Celtics only do five turnovers, let's, let's say, and then they the Pacers only score two or three points, then that's great. And now instead of being down seven, you're only down four or five. No, I'm sorry, you're only down like two or three, because, Tim, do math. But I don't know what was said at halftime from Brad Stevens to the Celtics, or even Nate McMillan said to the Pacers, but whatever Nate McMillan said to the Pacers didn't work, and whatever Brad Stevens said to the Celtics worked. And I need to focus that, again, because I think Nate McMillan's a great coach. I understand Mike Bullsenhoser, whatever his name is, from the Bucks, one coach of the year, but I thought... Nate McMillan did a great job with the Pacers, especially after losing Victor Oladipo. He coached his butt off to get this team the five seed because they could have fallen off the face of the earth without Victor Oladipo. But the third quarter, folks, the Celtics only allowed eight total 
points. What have I preached on this podcast week after week after week this season? The Celtics need to stop letting teams score over 30 points in a quarter, right? They only scored eight points in the in the third quarter. Eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. That's it. That's all that they scored. They had 45 points at halftime, and then they had 53 points at the end of the third quarter. And then in the fourth quarter, the Pacers only scored 21 points. A total of 29 points in 24 minutes. That is Celtics basketball. That will get the, the juices flowing, the veins moving. That is what I'm talking about. It, they, they fought so hard. They've contested so many shots. They forced the Pacers to take so many bad shots. And yes, I understand that Like someone like Bogdanovich didn't shoot the ball that well, and that ain't going to happen again, and that's fine. But the Celtics did such a great job in the third quarter, really pouring it on on this team. The Celtics scored 26 points. They te- technically went on a 26-8 to eight run. Now, should we really be talking that much? Because the Pacers, don't, I mean, the Celtics only scored 18 points in the second quarter. Well, sure, but whatever. I mean, they won, so we don't have to really talk about that. It was stupid and dumb, and shots weren't falling, but eight points, eight points, unbelievable. And <laughs> Terry, Rozier <at> the <laughs> Terry Rozier at the end of the third quarter hit a pretty insane three-pointer. But did anyone see his reaction? I thought his knee was going to hit him in his forehead. That dude acted like he just won the goddamn lottery. Dude, you didn't. You didn't. That was the only shot you hit all game. You went one of six from the field. So that's the shot you're going to hit? Yikes. Like, come on. Now, speaking of shots that weren't falling, whether it was for the Pacers or for Gordon Hayward, Gordon Hayward was four of 12 from the field. I had no issue with the 12 shots that Gordon took. He took the second most shots on the team behind Kyrie and Marcus Morris. Marcus Morris and Gordon Hayward each shot, 12 shots each. So 24 shots, but 9 of 24 from those two guys off the bench. I wish it was a little bit better, just a little bit better. But all the shots that Gordon Hayward took are shots that he can make. You know, that like his step back and the way he drags his feet is has to do an absolute, it has to be a torture chamber on his knees. It really does. That slow motion, how he just hangs, that, that has to be a torture chamber on his knees. Absolutely crazy. But speaking of things that were absolutely crazy, Aaron Baines. I'm very confused with how Brad Stevens plays Aaron Baines. He played all 12 minutes in the first half. I mean, in the first quarter. All 12 minutes. And then he only played 10 minutes the rest of the game. So it was like all 12 minutes and then 3 minutes, 3 minutes, and then maybe 4 minutes. I just found that so bizarre. Like, Aaron Baines should only be playing like six or seven minutes. That's a big dude. And he gets, I mean, he's tired (laughs) after like four or five minutes just because of how hard he plays. And I love it. But I was just very interested to see how Aaron Baines played all 12 minutes in the first quarter and then just 10 in the next 36 minutes. It was just very, very bizarre. But that that was really the only thing that kind of stuck out to me, you know, during the game. Oh, yeah. Kyrie Irving is the first is the third Celtics player. Holy crap. Do you guys just hear that thunder? That was insane. Oh. That gave me more chills than the new intro music. My God. That was crazy. Where was I? Oh yeah. Kyrie Irving is the third Celtic all time to have 20 points, 7 assists, and 5 rebounds in a playoff game. Jojo White, and some guy named Isaiah Thomas. Now, folks, I looked up to see 
how long it took Isaiah Thomas to do that. Like eight or nine games. Kyrie did it in his first. Does anyone else miss Isaiah Thomas? Nope, I don't. Okay, great. Love it. So let's get into the stud and dud, not of the week, but of the game. Hit the new intro music. And now it is time for your Celtic stud and dud playoff edition. All right, the stud and dud of the game. The stud is stand by your man, Marcus Morris. Are you kidding me? He came out guns a-blazing. And he was diving on the floor. What are you, Marcus Smart? No, it's Marcus Morris. I loved it. 5 of 12 from the field, 3 of 8 from 3, 20 points, plus 15, 7 boards. I loved it. Stand by your mother effing man, Marcus Morris. It was great. With that being said, I am so excited to see him go like one of nine from the field on Wednesday night in game two. It's just going to happen. I know it is. And if it doesn't, watch out, NBA. Watch out. Speaking of the three letters, NBA, how crazy were the NBA games on Saturday? The Raptors lost, the 76ers lost. I don't want to look into it too much, but, I mean, (laughs) don't tempt me with a good time. That's all I'll say about that. And the dud of the game, Jalen Brown. I was happy Jalen Brown got the start because I feel like he's a reasonable defender. He is. But he just looked confused. It looked like he didn't fit in with the starters. I, I, I know starting for Brad Stevens isn't that important. It's about who finishes the game. And obviously, you know, at one point the Celtics were up 22. So Brad just, you know, he brought in Brad Wanamaker and Robert Williams and Semi played a bit. Yeah, Selly played. Tice even got, you know, three or four minutes during the game. And so you you really couldn't judge on who finished the game. It probably was going to be Gordon, but you really can't judge that. But Jalen just, he just didn't look like himself out there. He, you know, he I feel like he's very confident when he's the number one guy, as he should be, because, you know, he was, you could argue, he was the Celtics' best bench player this year. And I remember, I'm the one who predicted that he would win sixth man of the year, early in the year, and I think we can all agree that he was the best bench player for this team this year. But he just didn't fit in. He was the only starter with a plus-minus in the negative. He was a negative three. Tatum was a plus 11. Horford was a plus 20. Kyrie was a plus 19. And Aaron Baines was even at zero. And again... Jalen Brown, zero assists. Zero assists. I don't understand it. Pass the ball. How do you play with Kyrie, Horford, and Tatum? Like, Aaron Baines only put up two shots, so, like, I really don't care. But how do you play with those other three guys? And you're telling me you didn't get one assist? That's an issue, bud. And I know I've said it all year. But one of five from the field, five boards, three turnovers, zero assists, not ideal. I hope Brad keeps him in the starting lineup. I'm not saying Brad should take him out. I'm just saying... Jalen, you got a bunch of better guys around you. Make them score. Help them out. Help them help you. They'll remember, oh, hey, Jalen passed me the ball. I should pass him the ball back. Make it happen. Make it happen. All right. What do the Celtics have to do to go up 2-0 on Wednesday night, 7 p.m., TD Garden? I think it's on TNT. Either way, NBC Sports Boston, at least for the first round. They have to win the rebound battle again. The Celtics won the rebound battle by 13. They were up 10. Going into the fourth quarter, they won the rebound battle 55-42. to 42. That's exactly, exactly, exactly what you have to do against the Pacers. Now, are the Pacers going to miss as many shots as they did again? Absolutely not. Are they going to go 28-84 of 84 again? Probably not. But 
Win the rebound battle again. Win, win, win. Turnovers. The turnovers have to go away. The Celtics cannot win a playoff game with 17 turnovers and 18 assists, especially since during the season this year, the Celtics averaged 26.3 assists per game. So the ball movement has to improve ASAP. I understand in the playoffs a little bit more hero ball is involved, but you can't have 17 turnovers and 18 assists. It just ain't going to fly. So the ball movement has to improve ASAP. Now, the Celtics did get a little lucky, even though they weren't lucky in the NBA draft tiebreakers, and Bogdanovich was off in this game. He didn't hit any threes. He never really got going, and I thought the defense was pretty good on him. I I was a little confused on how Kyrie was guarding Matthews, Tatum was guarding Collison, and I I don't know. It was it was just very confusing for me. I think, and, and Jalen was on Bogdanovich. I don't know if Jalen can fight through screens better than Bogdanovich, you know, than um, Tatum, but I just thought that was a very, like a very interesting move because there were some times where Collinson and Miles Turner did a lot of pick and pops, and Kyrie had an issue with it too. But Horford needs to hedge on that, and Kyrie needs, or Kyrie or Jalen or Tatum or whoever needs to fight through the screen, the screen better because Miles Turner is a big dude. He's setting good screens, but you can get through it and contest that shot because there were a couple times. I think Miles Turner took like four or five threes in this game. How many threes did he take? Where is Miles Turner? He took two. But if you hedge and just put a hand up, Miles Turner ain't shooting that ball, and they're just going to have to swing it around, and they're going to keep doing it and doing it. So Horford needs the hedge. The communication needs to be better between Tatum and Brown in that situation. And I think Horford and Kyrie even themselves out when it comes to communications defensively. So I'm, I'm okay with that. The other thing that they need to, to focus on, and this is the last thing, is they need to keep being physical with Sabonis. Baines did a great job being physical. Sabonis is one of those guys where if you bump him a little bit, he's like, oh, you think you're going to bump me? And then you bump him again, and he's like, oh, fuck. Ugh, this isn't going to work. So they got to be physical with Sabonis. Tyreek Evans took 11 shots for them. I think that was that, that led the team. Yeah, Evans, Collinson, and Bogdanovich each took 11 shots. Tyreek Evans is one of those guys that can go off. And I said that last week in the podcast. So him taking 11 shots, I think Terry needs to do a much better job defensively against him unless he's guarding Corey Joseph. Corey Joseph played very well for them. I think he shot over 50% from the field. He took a lot of open jumpers, especially through pick and pop situations where Sabonis would come out, set a screen. And I, I think, <laughs> I think... Baines did a pretty good job. There were times where I was more focused on where the ball was versus what, you know, who was hedging, who was not hedging. But Corey Joseph, 5-9 from the field. I'd rather have Corey Joseph go 5-9 from the field than Wesley Matthews or Miles Turner or Bogdanovich or Tyreek Evans. So if you had to pick anyone to go off, sure, let it be Corey Joseph. But he's a vet. He played for the Spurs in the playoffs. It makes a lot of sense. But I'm feeling confident going into game two. As long as the turnovers go down and the assists go up, the Celtics can easily win this game again, and the defense has to be there. Just because you guys only gave up eight points in the third quarter doesn't mean that's going to happen again. So keep the defense up. I loved how Kyrie, after the game, dedicated the game to Marcus Smart. I love that. That is leadership right there. Love it, love it, love it. And we'll give you guys a recap on Game 2 Thursday morning. Check it out iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Play. Did I say Google Play? <laughs> Google Play. Uh, Google Play, SoundCloud, etc., etc. Thank you guys so much for listening this week or 
today, I should say. Happy Marathon Monday again, and we'll talk to you guys real soon. Toodles and noodles, X's and O's. Bye-bye. Sorry, but I'm gone. I'm history. And I dedicated my life to the Boston Celtics. I dedicated my life to the fans of Boston. I did my very best to please each and every one of you. Good night.